1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. The Word of God says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by the which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, uh, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was up-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Let's pray. Lord, give us insight into your word this evening. Help us to rightly divide the scriptures. This is your book. We want to know what it says. And so we pray the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth. Uh, Open thy word that we may behold wondrous things out of it. Make us more like you, and especially on this matter of salvation. Boy, we have to get that right above all else. If we don't have that right, nothing else matters. And so help us to understand the beauty of salvation by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight's message asks a simple question. Is baptism necessary for salvation? I want you to think about that. Is baptism necessary for salvation? Uh, There seems to be a lot of confusion about the matter of baptism in some circles. Questions like, does water cleanse away sin? Is baptism part of the gospel? Does the obedience of baptism finalize salvation? Is baptism a matter of obedience or forgiveness? Is baptism necessary to save your soul? Uh, For example... The Roman Catholic Church teaches that water baptism is necessary for salvation. Some Protestant churches teach that baptism is necessary for salvation. We think about the Protestant Campbellite churches, often known as the Church of Christ or Disciples of Christ churches. They teach that water baptism by immersion is necessary for salvation. Now, baptism is a wonderful thing, and it's just like the devil to take a wonderful ordinance given by God and corrupt it into something evil. The answer to the question in our title is a resounding no. Water baptism is not necessary for salvation. Let me say it again. Water baptism is not necessary for salvation. So I gave you the title, I gave you the answer, and we can all go home now. No, we're, you're not getting out of it that easy. You're not getting out of it that easy. We're, uh, we're going to look at the Scripture. It's one thing to just assert something, but of course we want to know what God says. And the, the answer that I'm giving you is not just because I'm a Baptist or because I'm a preacher or whatever. It's because we've studied thoroughly the Word of God, and we believe this is what God's Word says. God's Word teaches that baptism is not necessary for salvation. Now this is especially important to me. Growing up, part of my family went to a Campbellite church, a church of Christ, and they taught that baptism was necessary for salvation. They also taught that you could lose your salvation after 
uh, you were saved. So you could get saved, you could get baptized, and then uh, if you uh, sinned again or fell into certain types of sin, then you could lose your salvation. You'd have to get saved all over again. Now understand, one side of my family went to this Campbellite church. The other side of my family who went to church went to a Pentecostal church, and they preached Christ, but also taught that you could lose your salvation. So after I got saved, really understanding what salvation was and whether or not I could keep it, lose it, was eternally secure or not, these were all big questions to my young mind. And so I went right to the scripture and began studying, what does God say? What is salvation? What is the gospel? What, uh, how do you get saved? And then how do you stay saved? And I'm thankful the Bible's very, very clear on these topics uh, that we are saved by faith in Christ and that uh, we are saved by God and we are kept eternally by God. If I couldn't do anything to get myself saved, I certainly can't do anything to keep myself saved. And so these are works of God. Uh, Salvation is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so uh, this was a very important subject to me. Is baptism necessary for salvation? I believe the Bible says no, and we're going to give you some proof of that here from the Scripture. Now in our text verse, you'll notice that the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ are mentioned in these verses. It's further explained in our text that the ark was a type of Christ. Noah and his family were saved because they were in the ark. We will be saved from the wrath of God because we are in Christ. The flood water elevated the family, Noah's family, in the ark. The flood water elevated the family and showed that they were in the ark while the others outside of the ark were lost. Don't miss this. The water separated Noah from the rest of the world. Christ is the ark. The ark is Christ. The water separated those who are in Christ from those who were not in Christ. And this is the symbol of baptism. Uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. So it's talking about Noah in verse 20, talking about Christ in the previous verses. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. So people say, oh, wait a minute, Pastor. The Bible says right there that baptism saves us. Yes, but from what? Again, we have to study the Word of God and not pick out uh, phrases and verses out of context to prove what we think it means. The Bible does say baptism saves us, but it saves us from a bad conscience. Read on. Whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Look, the Bible always defines itself. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. So right there, the Bible says baptism does save you, but baptism is not washing away your sin. Baptism isn't putting away the filth of the flesh. It's giving you a good answer toward God. This is very important. Water baptism after salvation has the same role as the water in the flood. Believer's baptism separates those who have been baptized from those who have not, from those who have been saved from those who have not. Water baptism shows and indicates that one has been born again. It identifies them with Christ and His church. Now, right here it says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. So baptism does not wash away sin. It cannot save the soul. 
Furthermore, it has no part in salvation. Some people say, well, it's, you have to believe in Jesus plus baptism. No, you believe in Jesus alone. As we talked about this morning, salvation is full reliance upon Jesus Christ alone. It is the renunciation of works. It is the confession that you can do nothing to save yourself. It is Christ who does the saving. Well, baptism doesn't save us from sin, but it does save us from a defiled conscience. Why is that? Because baptism identifies us with Christ. Is there anyone so low in this world who's been saved by the glorious gospel of Christ and then refuses to identify with the Christ who died on the cross to save them? That's pretty low, isn't it? And so backsliders, and, and when, when we get away from God, boy, it bothers us. There is a place in your heart that that Holy Ghost conviction, your conscience will never be right if you're not right with the, the Christ who saved you. And so baptism is that first step of obedience. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to identify with Christ. That gives me a good conscience before God. Baptism saves us from a defiled conscience as we step into obedience after salvation. Does that make sense to you? Now, the Bible does not teach that baptism is necessary for salvation. Why then do some believe this false doctrine? So if the Bible is so clear on why you don't get saved by, by baptism, then why do some people believe this? You might have friends, you might have family that believe that you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. Where, where does this confusion come from? And it's a failure to rightly divide the Word of God. A failure to rightly divide the Word of God. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. So what does that mean? Rightly dividing means to dissect correctly. It means we must explain the Word of God, connecting the pieces of Scripture accurately. Think about it like this. Think of the Bible as a jigsaw puzzle of doctrine. There's no chapter called salvation. There's no chapter called baptism. There's no book of the Bible called church. The, the truths of the Bible are all scattered amongst these different books. So we're in the book of 1 Peter. There are many doctrines represented in the book of 1 Peter. It's impossible for you to look at the Bible, take out one verse, and then build a whole thing about that, a whole doctrine about that. We need supporting verses. And so here's what happens. The Bible is a jigsaw puzzle of doctrine. There's no chapter on baptism. So God intends for us to study His Word, take all the verses on whatever subject, tonight the subject is baptism, and put them together in order to understand the full doctrine, the full doctrine of baptism. So some people can take out a verse and make it seem like, boy, baptism is necessary for salvation. You can take out a verse and make it seem like that, boy, works are necessary for salvation. But not if you rightly divide the word. Don't miss what I'm about to say. Every false doctrine is born from not rightly dividing the word. Every false doctrine you can imagine 
every false preacher, every false church that points to the Bible and, and they have some false doctrine, it's because they failed to rightly divide the Word. If you don't rightly divide the Word, you can take verses out of context to make the Bible say whatever you want. And that's dangerous. We're not trying to make the Bible fit what we believe. We're trying to study the Bible to find out what God says. Amen? Amen. Now, it's important to let the Scripture speak rather than wrestle it to say whatever we want. Now, you're in 1 Peter. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. It's possible to wrestle the Scriptures and try to make it say whatever you want. This is what false preachers do and heretics. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, that word rest, W-R-E-S-T, is the word wrestle, which they wrestle as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. So this is a fascinating verse. Peter here is talking about the revelation given to Paul and even Peter says, boy, God's given Paul some stuff that's hard to be understood. I mean, you've got to study that stuff out. But then he warns against people who wrestle the scriptures. Now, he calls these unstable and unlearned men. So two reasons people wrestle the scripture. The first is they just don't know any better. Some people have an incomplete understanding of God's word. They listen to what they've been taught, what some preacher said. Maybe they read a verse or a book. They have a verse to hang their hat on, and now they just, that's what they believe. They've never really studied it out, but man, they'll fight tooth and nail that that's what the Bible says, but they're unlearned. Other people are unstable. These are unlearned people. These are people who are wrestling the scripture for their own means, sometimes for power, sometimes for profit. They are unstable people, but there are those out there who wrestle the scriptures. Now, our goal is to allow the scripture to speak rather than making the Bible say whatever we want. Amen. Uh, also, we must compare scripture with scripture. Look at Second Peter chapter one. Now, we're talking about rightly dividing the word before we can get into this uh, doctrine of baptism. And does baptism save we really need to understand how to look at the Scripture and rightly divide the Scripture, because if we don't, that's when false doctrine comes in. So we looked at the fact that we can't wrestle the Scripture. We looked at the fact that Scripture is like a jigsaw puzzle of doctrines, and you have to take the pieces of a doctrine and put them all together and step back and see everything God says on the subject to have the full picture. But we also know that Scripture must be compared with Scripture. Look at Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. What's that mean? No verse is an island. No Scripture is by itself. The Bible defines the Bible. So if you find one verse in the Bible that speaks on something, you'll find another verse that speaks to that thing, and, and, and you can get the interpretation from it uh, through the Scripture. And so it's not of private interpretation. That means you can't just look at a verse and say, well, here's what I believe this means, but you're the only person in the history of the world that's believed that. You're probably wrong. You know, if you believe something that nobody else in the world believes, it's probably because you're wrong. The Scripture's not of private interpretation. God's not trying to hide the truth from His people. He's trying to reveal Himself. 
And so he wants us to learn them, and we must learn that the Scripture is not of private interpretation. Now, here's an important lesson for you to learn about rightly dividing the Word. Every Bible verse has one interpretation. That's what God originally said on that subject in that situation. And many applications. That's how the, that principle applies to any area of your life. So every scripture has one interpretation and many applications. Now when we start putting all these things together, we can begin to rightly divide the word of God. And as we said, every false doctrine is born out of a failure to rightly divide God's word. So having understood those things, we still are faced with the question that the Bible is so clear about the role of baptism, why is there so much confusion on this subject? In tonight's message, I'm going to quickly give you three reasons why uh, people get this doctrine wrong. And what you'll find is these same three reasons are the reason for most false doctrines out there. Uh, so here are the three reasons for the confusion about this doctrine of baptism. Number one, it's a misunderstanding of Bible terms. If you don't define words correctly, you can't possibly understand God's word. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Satan loves to turn good into bad and bad into good. He loves to call that which is holy wicked and that which is wicked holy. Uh, Satan loves to change the definitions of words. And we could talk about that for a long time. He'll take a good wholesome word and change it into a bad word. Or he'll take a, a Bible word and take it to mean something else. This is Satan's trick. It's worked for thousands of years. He's going to keep doing it. So getting the right definition is important. That's why in a lot of my messages, I will take time to properly define words like we did this morning about faith. Why? Because you might think faith is one thing, but the Bible says faith is another thing. We have to be comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges, right? And so definitions are important. So uh, confusion comes in when there's a misunderstanding of Bible words. Now let me show you something here. Hebrews chapter 6. Now we're in this message, is baptism necessary for salvation? But before we get to that, we wanted to tell you why false doctrine happens and why misunderstandings happen in Scripture, and that's because they don't rightly divide the word. Now we're talking about the three main reasons for the confusion. And the first is a misunderstanding of Bible terms. Now tonight we're talking about baptism. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 2. Of the doctrine of, what's the next word? Baptisms. The doctrine of baptisms. Did you know there's more than one baptism in the Bible? See, if you don't know that, you're already in trouble when it comes to baptism. Uh, the plural word baptisms in this verse show us that there are multiple forms of baptism in the Bible. Uh, and if we don't understand that, it quickly confuses our theology. There are three basic types of baptism in the Bible. I have the, the verses and such here, but I won't give them to you for tonight's sake, but I will mention them. The first is the baptism of repentance. These are types of baptism in the New Testament. There's the baptism of repentance. This was John's baptism and it's not the same as believer's baptism. How do we know that? Because in Acts chapter 19, the apostle Paul came to some people. They had only been baptized with John's baptism. And Paul said, whoa, you got to get baptized with believer's baptism. 
So there was John's baptism. We're not going to take time to know what all that means, but we do know from Acts chapter 19, verses 3 through 5, that those believers who were baptized by John were rebaptized after salvation through faith in Christ. All right, secondly, we see the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 16, Romans chapter 6, verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 13. So those who are saved spiritually are baptized into the body of Christ. And I preached a whole message on this recently. You can go online and listen to that. But in a nutshell, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a benefit of salvation, immersing us in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and body. It's a baptism of the Holy Ghost. Third, we find believer's baptism. And believer's baptism is baptism uh, by immersion after salvation. The Bible is very clear, Matthew 28, 19, Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Let's look at that, Acts chapter 8. We mentioned these verses this morning, but we want to look at them this evening under a different light. Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch wants to get saved. He sees a body of water. He ends up wanting to get baptized. Let's, let's pick it up here in verse 35, just so we have a little context. Acts chapter 8 and verse 35. The word of God says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Hey, that's a good thing to preach, isn't it? Let's just keep preaching Jesus. Coronavirus, we're going to preach Jesus. Recovery, we're going to preach Jesus. Things going well, we're preaching Jesus. Things going bad, we're preaching Jesus. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. All right, verse 36, And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And people say, Well, see, the, the eunuch wanted to get baptized so he could be saved. No, that's not true. We understand from the context here that clearly Philip had talked to him about salvation, told him about believing in Christ, and had moved on to discipleship. Once, if you're going to truly follow Christ, you need to get saved and then you need to be baptized after that in order to become a true disciple of, of, of Christ. And this eunuch was serious about following Christ. As a matter of fact, a church tradition tells us that the eunuch went back to Ethiopia and saw many, many people saved in Ethiopia. This guy was serious about following God. Uh, and so baptism was not going to save him. Matter of fact, Philip told him, before you get baptized, you need to be saved. Look at verse 37. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Now we talked this morning about what that meant, believing with all your heart. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. Verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both a Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, when they were come up out of the water, did you catch that? So they both went in the water, and then they were come up out of the water. Uh, the spirit caught away Philip, and the eunuch went on his way. Now, what do we learn from this scripture? In this passage, we see the timing of baptism. It was after salvation. That's why we call it believer's baptism. There's no baptism in the New Testament without being saved first. The Bible doesn't teach infant baptism. The Bible doesn't teach uh, baptism before salvation. It doesn't teach baptism for church membership outside of salvation. You have to get saved first. So the timing of baptism 
is after salvation. That's why it's called believer's baptism. All right, secondly, we see the mode of baptism. This is water. This is water baptism. Third, we see the method of baptism, and that is immersion. In the Bible, there's no baptism by sprinkling. There's no baptism by pouring. Those would be convenient for sure, but that's not the Bible way. They found a large body of water, big enough for them both to go into, big enough for them to go under and, and to come up out of. And so this is baptism by immersion. That's why the definition of believer's baptism is so clear. This is true water baptism. So the Bible teaches that baptism is an outward expression of your inward decision to trust Christ as your personal Savior. Baptism doesn't save you. It simply shows other people that you've been saved. I say this often. I say it at every baptism. Baptism is a lot like my wedding ring. I can take my wedding ring off and still be married. But my wedding ring just shows everybody else that I'm married and I'm not ashamed of my wife. Thus it is with baptism. You can be saved and not baptized. You're just disobedient and ashamed, the Bible says. Uh, So you should, uh, after you get saved, at the first available opportunity, get baptized by immersion in water after salvation. And believer's baptism identifies us with Christ and his local church. Now, I know we've said it over and over, but you've got to understand, you don't understand how, some of you don't understand how big of a doctrinal dispute this is. There are untold amounts of people who believe that baptism washes away sin. Baptism does not wash away sin. It has no saving power. It is a symbol of the gospel. So when we go down into the water, that pictures our faith in Christ. You go under the water, that pictures you're buried Uh, With Christ, you come up out of the water. That pictures you're resurrected with Christ. You get up out and walk out of the water, and that pictures your new life in Christ. Uh, It is a symbol of the gospel, but it does not have any saving power. All right, so why do people uh, get this doctrine wrong? Because of a misunderstanding of Bible terms. Now next, a misinterpretation of Bible verses. There are Bible verses that you can take to promote baptism as if it saves but these are not rightly divided and let me give you some examples here this evening look at mark chapter 16 now we looked at one in first peter chapter 3 they would often point to that one and say see baptism says it saves you know it saves you from a defiled conscience not from sin it clearly says it doesn't save you from sin and it is a symbol of being separated unto Christ. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. The Bible says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All right, that's the great commission in Mark, much like in Matthew. Verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Wait a minute, preacher. There it is right there. The Bible clearly says that if you believe and you're baptized, you're going to be saved. Sure. And if I believe and go to Walmart, I'll be saved. If I believe and take a nap, I'll be saved. If I believe and whatever, I'm saved. Because the Bible teaches that faith, belief, is saved where salvation takes place. 
And I love the way God does this, because just in case there's any confusion, read the rest of the verse. All right, Mark chapter 16 and verse 16 again. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, wait a minute. This verse explains itself. This verse does not say he that is baptized not shall be damned. The damning factor in this verse is the lack of faith. And this agrees with all the other verses on Scripture, that it is faith in Jesus Christ, the finished work of Christ, that saves the soul. Without a doubt, the impetus of salvation is the word believeth in this verse. Salvation hinges on believing, not on baptism. And I love how God just built that right into the verse so there would be no confusion. All right, let me give you another example. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Here's another one that they will point to, insisting that baptism is necessary for salvation. All right, look at verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Oh, there it is, Pastor. The Bible says, be baptized for the remission of sins. Now, this is not as difficult to decipher as some would claim. Let's define a few words. Remember, the first thing we have to do is define words to rightly divide the word. Amen? So the word repent. Uh, it's synonymous with believe on Jesus as found in other verses. Repentance and belief are two sides of the same coin. Repentance for salvation is turning to God from idols. I'll quote a verse for you. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So repentance and faith is I've got to turn from the false things I'm believing in to the true thing to put my faith in. I've got to turn from idols to Christ. I've got to turn from believing I can be good enough to go to heaven to Christ. I have to turn from believing there's no God to Christ. I have to turn from believing about my faith in a certain church to now my faith is in Christ. You see how that happens? You have to change what you're believing in. It's faith that saves the soul. Now, wait a minute. Look back at Acts 2.38. It goes on to say, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Oh, there it is, Pastor. You know what that means. Well, Answer me this. What is the definition of the word for? And the truth is, we kind of know what it means, but no, wait. We know how we use it most often. But we don't know what it means in this context. If you look up the word for in the dictionary, one of the definitions you'll find is because of or pointing to. Now, we use for often in order to. I'm going to go to the store for milk. I'm going to go to the store in order to get milk. That's what we're saying. That's how we often use it. But the word for has multiple definitions, and it's clearly used a lot of times in English in other ways. This verse is not saying that you get baptized in order to get saved. It, the word for in this verse is used in that, in that sense of because of or pointing to. So let's read it 
with the proper definition. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the remission of sins, or pointing to the remission of sins. Now, wait a minute. That now fits in with all the other verses we find in the Bible about salvation. See how this works? The, the misdefinition of one word can change an entire doctrine. That's why I'm always defining words for you. And this, in this example, we see that uh, this verse means that Peter said, Repent and be baptized, pointing to salvation. When you compare Scripture with Scripture, baptism is an outward action that points to faith in the heart. We don't get baptized as part of salvation. We get baptized pointing to salvation that took place when we put our faith in Christ. All right? Let me give you another example. Uh, Acts chapter 22. And we're talking about these problems with doctrine come in because of a misinterpretation of Bible verses, and often that takes place because of a misunderstanding of Bible words. And here when we're talking about baptism, Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 is another verse that's commonly used to promote baptismal regeneration, which is a fancy word of saying you need to be saved to be baptized. All right, look at verse 16. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Oh, there you go. See, it says you be baptized and wash away your sins. Is that really what it says? Or does it say your sins get washed away calling on the name of the Lord? You see, where you put the emphasis and how you understand punctuation and phrasing is important. This is why when I went to Bible college, don't miss this. When I went to Bible college... The chancellor of the college said the most important class you're going to take in Bible college is English. And I used to think, what? I mean, we were taking New Testament survey, Old Testament survey, doctrines classes, Pauline epistles, pastoral epistles, soul winning, church education. I mean, everything from the doctrines of the Bible to how to run a church, systematic theology. And the chancellor of the college said the most important class that you're going to take is English. He said, because the Bible is written for us in English. And if you don't understand English, you won't understand your Bible. That doesn't mean that a common person who doesn't have a college-level degree in English can't read and understand the Bible. But it does mean that for a pastor who spends his life dissecting the Bible, right, I mean, we're dissecting the Bible. I'm digging deep into the Word of God. We have to understand English, phrasing, punctuation, definitions. Why? Because you can change an entire doctrine by misdefining a few words. And here it's clear this verse puts the emphasis on calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, Notice the phrase, wash away thy sins, and then calling on the name of the Lord, this agrees with Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. All right, think about this. If one can be saved by water baptism, why not simply save, arise, and be baptized, and wash away thy sins? Wouldn't that have been an easier phrasing of this verse, if that's what God was trying to communicate? That's not what he was saying. He was saying, arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You need to get baptized 
And before you do that, you need to wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. It's kind of like if I say, listen, you need, you need to get back in church, but before you do that, you've got some things in your heart right you need to get t- taken care of. You might be saying, hey, you need, to get, you need to get baptized and get your family in church, but before, you need to get saved. And so salvation always comes before all of these other things. Let me give you a, a one last example. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, you don't have to turn to 18 through 20, the Great Commission. We understand the Great Commission, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, it's important to understand the Great Commission is not the plan of salvation. The Great Commission is not the plan of salvation. It is the mission of God's people. Our mission is to make disciples for Christ. And the way we do that is a three-step process. First, we teach all nations. Teach them what? The gospel. Then we baptize those who believe by immersion in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then we teach those that have been baptized to observe all the commandments that Christ taught us. This is the, the mission of the church. This is the process of creating disciples. This is not the plan of salvation. And if you think that, that the Great Commission is the plan of salvation, you're messed up. I mean, you're in a world of trouble. All kinds of works being added. But this is the mission of the church, not the plan of salvation. Think about this. As we're talking about how this happens, how can people get to the place where they believe baptism is necessary? We're talking about a, a misunderstanding of, of the Scripture. If water baptism were necessary for salvation, so many of the most beloved verses in the Bible would be insufficient. Listen to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is John 3.16 incomplete because it doesn't mention baptism? John 3.36 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Is John 3.36 lacking? Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Are these verses insufficient? Acts 16.31, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Is, is this verse inadequate? Did the Apostle Paul miss something when he was preaching to the jailer here? Galatians 2.16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no man be justified. Is is Galatians chapter 2 verse 15 defective because it doesn't mention baptism? You see, when you start adding to the gospel by taking a couple verses out of context, there are multitudes of verses that now you have to change to keep up with that false doctrine. No, these verses are all sufficient. Did God forget to add baptism to His definition of the gospel? 
We see the gospel defined in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 3. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by the which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Then goes on to say, was baptized and rose again. Did God forget to add this? He said, oh, I forgot to add baptism to the gospel definition. No. And a resounding no. And here's a third reason why people mistake baptism as necessary for salvation. We said, number one, a misunderstanding of Bible terms. Number two, a misinterpretation of Bible verses. And then lastly, a misconception of baptism's importance. See, the belief that baptism is necessary for salvation conflates baptism with the gospel. It gets the two mixed up. Believers' baptism is not part of the gospel. I want you to think about history for a moment. The Roman Catholic Church believes that baptism is part of the steps to salvation. And they have many. They teach a, The church at Rome teaches a works-based salvation. You might have Catholic friends that believe in Jesus Christ, and I would say unto you, they're going to the wrong church. Uh, but the, the, the Roman Catholic Church clearly teaches a works-based salvation. And baptism is part of one of the steps in order to get saved. In the third century, they began teaching that children should be baptized after birth in order to secure their souls. And that makes sense. If baptism saves you, then why not make people get baptized? which eventually happened. And then if baptism saves you, what are we going to do about the children rather than just wait for them to get baptized on their own? We can baptize them and save their souls and bring them to Jesus, air quotes, when they're children by just baptizing them. Then, now you got to understand the logic here. This is their logic and how it's progressing. In the year 416 A.D., Infant baptism was made compulsory by law in the Roman Empire. This means that at that time, it was against the law for you to not baptize your babies. Why? Because it would be against the law for you to let your kids go to hell. See the false reasoning? One false doctrine built upon another false doctrine built upon another. This was seen by the Roman Catholic Church as an act of mercy bringing children to Jesus. Here's an interesting fact. During the Dark Ages, that's the 5th through the 15th centuries roundabout, an estimated 50 million Christians were put to death because they rejected two doctrines. Watch this. Baptismal regeneration, baptism saves a soul, and infant baptism. During those years, an estimated 50 million Christians Christians died because they said, baptism doesn't save, Jesus Christ alone saves. And because they said, I'm not going to baptize my children because we believe in believer's baptism. These people insisted that salvation was a gift of God through faith in Christ apart from works. Talk about an overestimation of baptism. They were killing people for it. Now, certainly baptism is important in the life of the believer. 
It's not necessary for salvation, but I believe every child of God should be baptized. And, and let me say this loud and clear. If you're born again, you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized by immersion after salvation. To not do so says, I don't want to be identified with Christ. I don't want to be identified with church. I'm ashamed to get baptized. And you are living in disobedience to Christ. And I believe this, and I've, uh, I've got... 20 plus years of ministry experience behind it, along with the scripture. If you refuse to get baptized, you will not grow as a Christian. You might grow little bits here and there, but you will never truly begin to grow in grace after you're saved until you take the step of baptism. Why? Because baptism is the first step of obedience. If you don't take the first step of obedience, you're not going to obey all the other steps. And people just don't grow who haven't been baptized. So baptism is certainly important. It's vital to the Christian life, but it's not an element of salvation. Let me show you a last portion of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 15. 1 Corinthians 1. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 15. No, I'm kidding. It's 1, 1 Corinthians 1. All right, 1 Corinthians 1, and let's look at verses. Uh, 13, and I'll read a few verses here. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you. But Crispus and Gaius, lest by any, lest any should say that I baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus, besides I know not whether I baptized any other. Now wait a minute. Paul wasn't interested in baptizing people. He was far more interested in getting people saved. Now let's look at the next verse. Verse 17. For Christ sent me not to what? baptized for Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel now wait a minute right there this is a killer for people that believe in baptismal regeneration because the Bible does two things here first it totally separates the baptism and the gospel the baptism is not part of the gospel the second thing is the apostle Paul said the thrust of my ministry was getting people saved He was in that ministry of soul winning and evangelism and going after souls. Now, after they got saved, he would allow other people to baptize them. But he would see somebody saved and hand them off and move on. See somebody saved, hand off and move on. Because he didn't come to baptize people. He came to see people saved. Could this man who gave up everything and hazarded his life to preach the gospel miss such a crucial element? Could this man who God inspired to pen 14 books of the New Testament be wrong on what it takes to be saved? Of course not. It just very simply means the thrust of the Apostle Paul's ministry was I need to get people saved. And with those saved people, we're going to start churches. We're going to create disciples. But you got to get them saved before you get them baptized. Amen? 
Baptism isn't part of salvation. So we conclude, after a thorough study of the Bible, it's easy to understand that baptism is not necessary for salvation. Baptism is necessary for a Christian to have a good conscience of obedience before God. Here's the question tonight. Have you truly trusted Christ as your Savior? If you got saved, if you put your faith in Jesus, believing that the water was washing away your sin, you're not saved, my friend. If you got saved believing that the water somehow did some miracle work and activated salvation in your life, that's not salvation. Salvation is reliance upon the finished work of Christ alone. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you could get saved. Why not trust Jesus this evening? Why not trust Jesus right where you are, putting your faith in Jesus, calling upon Him for forgiveness and mercy? If you're saved and you're watching this and you've never been baptized, you're, you're in a bad place because you're not going to grow and you're living in disobedience to Christ. And we certainly don't want to do that. But most of all, we have to keep this doctrine of salvation pure. We don't want to corrupt the simplicity that's in Christ. Amen? Keep salvation pure. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather. We pray that you'd help us to understand the importance of the gospel. And then, what is the gospel? What makes up the gospel? Thank you for being so clear in the scriptures. We pray that you'd help us to spread the gospel message far and wide and help those who there are some unlearned people out there who think that you have to be saved to be baptized and they just don't know any better. And I pray you'd help us to correct that in their hearts and minds with the scripture. There are others who believe this and they're just unstable and they're, they're teaching it to others. We pray that you'd help them as well and turn to the true gospel. So we pray you'd be with each person under the sound of our voice and get us through this trial, protection, provision. We trust you for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.